Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? Why can't I hear you? Hello? Are you talking? What are you doing, man? All right, I'm ready now. Oh, bloody hell, right. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? Doing all right. Um, actually... Slightly less than all right. I just went out to buy some uh, asparagus from Tesco. Went on my bike and uh, I had hay fever and it's kind of started off this year now. And so now my my throat is quite sore. So um, it's a minor annoyance uh, to put it one way. It's how, a minor how about annoyance. you? It's a minor annoyance in the grand scheme of things, I guess. Yeah. 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 I'm doing all right. Uh, I realized earlier today that I've actually got like five days off work, like consecutively, which is absolutely next level. Um, so I'm having a bit of a I'm not really sure what to do with my life right now. Having a bender. Five-day bender. Five-day bender, exactly. That's me. Um, but I had a, a Zoom call with one of my one of my guys, Angus, just now. And uh, it's just like really helpful just having phone calls with people when it comes to like team stuff. Because you can get a lot more done in a phone call than you can over Slack. And it's just, oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. It's just like absolutely next level. Like every time I have a call with, with, with the squad, I feel like I make some sort of like we make some sort of breakthrough in stuff. Whereas on Slack, it's sort of just very back and forthy. Is it like big picture breakthroughs or like just far getting to on the same page faster on normal stuff? It's big page. Uh, it's big picture breakthroughs more. But it's also like uh, we're, we're trying to do this thing where at the start of the week, we'll have a, a little meeting and plan out kind of the next few weeks worth of content and see if anything needs changing. So that's a kind of getting on the same page. But then yeah. kind of the one-to-ones are more about, okay, right, let's think about where do our deep dives, uh, live streams fit into the wider strategy and blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, nice. That's pretty cool. Uh, before we continue, we have an exciting new sponsor for this week's episode. Um, do you know anything about the sponsor, Tim? Uh, no, no, you don't tell me these things. I don't tell you these things. So this week, very exciting, and we have a new sponsor on board, and that is Brilliant. Yes, that's right. Brilliant are kindly sponsoring our show. If you haven't heard of them, Brilliant is an amazing online platform for maths, science, and computer science courses. So they've got all sorts of things from like, you know, the basics of numbers and probabilities all the way through to other advanced statsy things in maths. And then on the science front, they've got a load of stuff. Uh, the courses that I'm going through at the moment are the computer science courses. So they've got one like, you know, introduction to computer science, introduction to algorithms. They've also got some really good ones about like, you know, intro to machine learning, intro to neural networks. And I've kind of known a little bit about neural networks and stuff for a while, just because you you hear about them in the news and things. But this yeah. is a, like a very accessible, interactive kind of introduction to those topics. And they've also got a course on Python and then advanced Python. So I, I, I'm finding that like genuinely for, like for the first time since I first started learning to code, I'm getting more of an appreciation of kind of the computer science algorithm aspect of it rather than just these are the mechanics of a conditional state, which is kind of yeah, how I taught yeah. myself to code. But yeah, if you want to sign up to Brilliant, go to brilliant.org forward slash not overthinking. And the first 200 people, I think, to click that will or to visit that link will get 20% off the annual premium subscription. So you can learn stuff and also help support the podcast, your favorite podcast of all time. How was that? Yeah, Brilliant. Brilliant is actually highly reputable amongst the sort of maths and maths education community because it doesn't really focus. At school, a lot of maths education is focused on uh, sort of mechanical sort of processes of like, okay, you know, this is how you work out an integral of this of this format this is how this is how you work out this this kind of equation uh and it doesn't really 
yes, a school style math doesn't really focus on developing your intuition and sort of understanding of mathematical concepts, uh, mathematical intelligence, if you will, which is a term that uh, a friend of mine is trying to coin. Uh, and brilliant, brilliant actually does focus on that. So it's not like, it's not like school style maths. It's like, it's, it's the way you, you really want to learn maths. So yeah, I, I do actually back brilliant. Nice. So brilliant has your stamp of approval, <laughs> which is, which is good to know. <laughs> anyway, um, there's quite a lot going on in the world, isn't there? Yeah. It's been quite the week. I think, uh, yeah, I think we should, uh, we should talk about what's going on and our sort of thoughts and, and, and kind of feelings towards that, I suppose. Um, yeah, I've been thinking because, you know, okay, so obviously what we're talking about here is uh, the, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which was recently, uh, and your know, protests and, and all that kind of stuff recently sparked by the, the murder of George Floyd in the US uh, by a policeman. And, you know, lots of people, are, you know, have been you know, tweeting whatever youtube video youtube videos tweets and, and that kind of thing and there's lot, lots of people chiming in in various ways and i was trying to think like you know we have a we have a bit of a platform here with the podcast you have a you have a pretty big platform with your youtube channel what is like what is like the most useful way to chime in on this and i'm, I'm partly a little bit apprehensive because i've seen on on twitter there's a lot of sort of people chiming in uh you know in support of this thing in a particular way but then there's all there's also a, a fair amount of sort of pushback, and so oh I I, th- I think so for for example uh you know I've seen a b- bunch of tweets where someone might you know tweet out in support of the movement uh and you know say you know try and like raise awareness on the issue or something and tell people oh you you here's you you should read this or whatever and then they might get called out for yeah i think a lot of people are getting called out for sort of not doing enough and so i've seen instances where some some like fairly high profile person will tweet about it and then they'll get called out saying like look man you know you're really influential you know tweeting about it isn't enough you gotta you know why why aren't you like donating money to these various organizations and then I've seen instances where uh, someone will have, you know, provided some kind of financial uh, so support to the movement through donations or sort of setting up some kind of fund. And they'll also get called out for not giving enough or not quite doing it in the right way. And I think I think a lot, you know, a large part of this is just like Twitter being Twitter and the internet being in the, being the internet, where the, the sort of uh, the voices on the fringes get a lot of get a lot of attention. Um, but it yeah, the reason I'm saying this is it, it does bring me a bit of apprehension to talk about this stuff on a podcast because it might it might sort of mobilize the Twitter crowd. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't want to do it wrong or something. And you know, yeah. my my I I think we both have good intentions here, but uh, you know. <laughs> so you've not seen my video about uh, five tips, five five lessons I learned about racism or something like that. No, no, I have. I oh, have. you have? Oh, no way. I thought that was a good video, and I think yeah. So I think like, you know, we have a platform here. I think it'll, it'll be, it'll be a good thing to do to try and sort of, you know, help, help spread the good word about why this is important and why people should support this. And then I think, uh, I'd, I'd be generally quite interested just to chat about our sort of, how our sort of stance on these kinds of things has evolved over the years. Uh, I think that, that would be, uh, an interesting discussion. Okay. At least for us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I think. I think the first point to say is that I fully empathize with the um, the struggle, uh, which is going to sound weird in this context, but like the struggle of putting the word out. Um, and before making my video, I was also really concerned about this. It's sort of the, the excuse of perfectionism, like wanting to do it right, but in a way uh, that being an that being a reason to not do it at all uh like people being like well i know i want to tweet out in support of this or i know i want to do something but i'm really worried i'm going to be lambasted by you know these uh left-wing liberals uh for kind of doing it wrong 
that seems to be like a genuine fear that a lot of people have <laughs> when it comes to supporting stuff like this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a sad place that we've arrived at. I think uh, I think overall it's 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 still it's still very much the vocal minority of people who are kind of for, like for, like for example uh you know when if if some public figure were to post something a lot of the comments underneath that post are well it's taken you a long time hasn't it <laughs> like, yeah yeah oh, come on man like someone is trying to do their bit to support the support the good fight and you're uh trying to knock them down a peg for doing it. like I can, I can see why you would do it uh, it's the I don't think there are any easy answers here. And yeah, one thing that I've been, I've been doing is I've been very interested to see what the opposite side of the viewpoint is about all of these issues. Um, and the more I try and have a balanced view, the more I, the more it feels like all of this, like a big, a big part of this just like is, is massively exaggerated by identity politics. Um, and yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I'm in agreement that like, even though it feels, I don't know, it feels a bit scary to to sort of try and talk candidly about this stuff. Uh, I'm in agreement that, that that should not stop people from doing it, and we should still do it anyway. And yeah, I think most people uh, on 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 all sides of you know whatever the sides are in this this whole thing, most most people are fairly you know, charitable and all that stuff. And it's a minority of people who will seek to <laughs> seek to cancel you. Yeah, yeah, the fear of, fear of being cancelled uh, and all that. Um, so I think I think like a good a good place to start is. I think you know you've been doing some uh, you've been doing some reading about this stuff this week. I've been doing some reading about this stuff as well. Um, so what's been your reading? I've been, I've been reading Me and White Supremacy, which I'm about seventy percent of the way through now. Uh, yeah, I've actually been reading that as well. Uh, I think I'm I think I'm I'm less than seventy percent of the way through. Um, but it's it's pretty good stuff. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. who's also been doing some digging, and I, I think it seems like there's sort of there's two categories of digging which are both quite important. The first is the kind of uh, yeah b- books like Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race and Me and White Supremacy and stuff where it's sort of i think it's it's useful those kinds of books are helpful to sort of build up some level of empathy with uh you know black people in this case who who are are oppressed but i think it's also important to educate ourselves on just like the history of things because in the in the uk here for example i don't know like the the stuff you learn in history at school is it's basically all completely pointless like i hated history in school because my impression of it was we're learning about freaking mott and bailey castles and how I don't know, some Henry guy got an arrow in the eye in 1066 or whatever. And it's, it's just seems so Harold, irrelevant. Not Henry. God. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harold, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato. But yeah, my, my, my take on school history lessons was that this is just like completely useless knowledge. Uh, and there's an awful lot of actually relevant and useful history out there that we just don't learn about in particular. I mean, my, my understanding of, uh, sort of the whole slavery thing is generally that, you know, the Brits colonized the world and had a bunch of slaves, which were predominantly black people. And that's, that's, that's my level of sort of knowledge about that. And we don't really get taught it in schools. I think in the US as well, I'm, I'm not sure what their history curriculum is like, but I get the impression that learning about uh, the history of black slavery in the US is not at the, the forefront of the curriculum. So I think, I think it's uh, certainly that, that's how I'm thinking about kind of educating myself of like, you know, understanding the, trying to understand sort of the the feelings and experiences 
uh, of black people uh, today and, and and sort of trying trying to develop some level of uh, yeah, as much empathy as, as is possible uh, for for that kind of stuff, but then also learning about the history and, and the sort of the context of, of all this stuff. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the history side of it is one that I haven't really touched myself as of yet. But I, yeah, like my understanding of, quote, the whole slavery thing as well is also like, it's it's just something that, that that's not even mentioned once in school. And so... Like, if I really think about it, what do I actually know about, about slavery? Well, I, in my head, the model I've got of slavery is that it was a mostly American thing. Um, people, these kind of black people from Africa would be taken across to America in boats, and then they would be oppressed and made to be slaves and stuff. And then at some point, uh, Martin, Luther, uh, Martin Luther King or like Abraham Lincoln or something, uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln wanted to abolish slavery and so he did and then martin luther king came along and gave black people rights like that is literally the extent of my understanding of what goes on and right yeah to, to the point that in my head like britain doesn't even come into this at all like it's just not even not even touched at school <laughs> so unless unless you're actively researching this or yeah it's it's not like even the whole colonialism and like british empire thing it was only yeah. really when i was at university um when you know these conversations would start happening for example when you know a, a college would hold would, would host a, an empire themed you know night out and people yeah. would complain and i'd be thinking what, what's there to complain about and be like oh okay yeah. you know the british empire was actually kind of a bad thing you know and, and stuff yeah. like that like i just never come across it before so i need to very much educate myself on those on those issues as well yeah yeah so i, th- I think that's really important and i would uh, yeah i think that that's kind of how i think about it i think it's it's sort of you know well what's going on right now is it it feels like the, we're sort of on the brink of something it feels like something big is going to happen out of this and uh you know it's important for for us all to kind of understand and appreciate the significance of it and kind of do our bit to sort of support it so then kind of on that on that note i suppose not really on that note like one thing that i've been really struggling with a lot is trying to trying to develop a mental model for what's like what's actually going on here yes um because i suppose in my head at the moment it's a case of okay well this is not just about the murder of george floyd this is about lots and lots of other stuff that has built up over time the rhetoric i've heard most often is that uh black people are oppressed in all sorts of ways in society um in particular black people are more likely to die at at the hands of police in america um and we've seen lots of these situations happen over the last few years and then it always kind of sparks some sort of protest but now this is kind of bigger than it's ever been before um this has likely been happening for a very very long time it's it's only really the advent of smartphones that has uh resulted in kind of publicity being shed on these issues but then so that that's my understanding of sort of what the main spark was and what a lot of people's beef what the situation is. But then if you look at kind of the the right-wing commentators, they would say, well, okay, fine, but let's actually look at the facts. If we look at the context behind every single one of the situations where a black man was killed by a, a white police officer in the last kind of five years, all, I don't know, 50 of them that we've got records for, you find that actually the, uh, like, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to claim that white police officers are killing black men for no reason. Like, there's all sorts of murkiness and, like, in, in context, you see that actually this is kind of reasonable. Maybe that was a bit reasonable. That's uh, Maybe that's not full, the, the full story there. Yes, that white police officer was bad in that case, but they were prosecuted and sent to jail. Like a lot of the right-wing commentators are saying that this whole black people are dying at the hands of white policemen is massively overhyped if you actually look at the stats. And as someone kind of very partial to looking at the stats, I don't really know what to think here because like uh, uh, 99% of my Twitter feed and like literally everyone I know is on on what 
you and I both agree to be kind of the right side of this, i.e. the left side of this, i.e. the sort of supporting the movement. And yet... Wait, wait, wait. I'd I'd like to take issue with your framing of this as a left and right thing. It's really not a left and right thing. I think bringing... It's not a a political issue. It's just like a normal... It's it's human rights or whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's that issue... It's not a left-right issue in the slightest. I don't know. I I, I used to think this, but from uh, I agree, people have people have formed factions to an extent where you know certain kinds of right-wing people are going to you know will will end up sharing yeah uh, then, some but, particular stance so, on it. But. So I'm using left and right wing as a very sort of loose uh, like it it would tend to be that commentators that more identify as right wing would tend to bring up these issues, whereas it would tend to be the commentators who who are more inclined to identify as being on the left would be more likely to support the move. That's okay, what I'm sure. kind of saying. And I, I accept that the language is not perfect, but there isn't really a, a sort of a, a precise way to talk about this in terms of language without making lots and lots of generalizations and assumptions. Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, that's the thing that I, I find tricky, that like basically everyone that you and I know is fairly lefty, you know, to like, <laughs> you know, in, in general, most of the people that you and I know would be lambasted for voting conservative. And it is considered the right thing to do to vote Labour, to, to vote for a left-wing government in the UK. Um, and so, like, 99% of my, of my Twitter feed is sort of full of, you know, Black Lives Matter, they're sort of in support of the movement and showing all these instances of police brutality in America. But then if you look at sort of the Twitter feed of sort of a right-wing commentator, you find that, like, most of the stuff that they're retweeting is examples of all the looting and all the violence that's going on and talking about how all these police officers are actually really just trying to uphold the law and, you know, what can they do? They're, they're just trying to do their bit. To, and and that's why it seems so hard because kind of like the, the the thing I said at the start is that the more you see that, the more you look at the kind of both sides of this, as, you know, insofar as there are any sides to this at all, the more it seems like, oh, damn, you know, I this really isn't as black and white as I would imagine it is based on my Twitter feed, if that makes sense. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, what you're kind, what you're kind of saying is that you know you need to, you're almost kind of trying to form an opinion based on the average of of everyone else, and I think that's just not the way to go. Like, look, I haven't I haven't done too much digging into people who have like you know looked into the stats of of all this stuff, but I think it is I I think most reasonable people on all sides would agree that there is a serious problem of systemic you know oppression and racism against black people in the US and and in most other countries i th- i think most people would agree with that now the thing that's kind of sparked it off right now is police brutality and you know sure someone might want to try and make the case that oh actually like the police brutality thing isn't that bad if you look at x y and z and oh look they're also like looting or something so you know what's going on there but like the, the the core issue and is is something that I think most people are on the same page on, which is this systemic oppression and racism against black people. And I think even even these right wing commentators who you're you're talking about who are tweeting about some stuff, I think they would agree with that. Uh, are you sure? I think what because I, I agree that 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 is the crux of a lot of this. Um, but a lot of the right wing commentators probably wouldn't agree with that. Oh, really? And that is another another area where i'm just like oh damn like this is just really not that simple because like to me clearly like clearly it's 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 just so obvious that obviously black people have been oppressed through for for hundreds of years you know first with the slavery stuff and now and and even now that slavery has technically been abolished obviously there's all this oppression in all these different ways uh if you look at the socioeconomic stats if you look at the the crime stats if you look at if you if you look at any measure of any any kind of outcome measure black people have it a lot worse than white people in america do on right. average and that just seems like really really obvious um which is but 
I wonder to what extent that is, that's kind of based on just the fact that everyone I know is saying that. And I actually haven't thought about looking at the other side uh, and looking at the sort of the arguments from people arguing against that point. Because occasionally when I do come across a video of someone arguing against that point, I kind of think, oh, okay, that actually sounds very reasonable. And then I'm like, oh, crap, I don't know what to think now. Because, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like um, if you look at if you if you look at comparative religion. So looking at um, sort of there's there's loads of, of, of videos on YouTube for people being very pro-Islam. There's lots of videos on YouTube about people being very anti-Islam. And depending on whose YouTube channel it is, you will end up thinking something different from the debate. If you see a debate between Zakir Naik and, I don't know, Christopher Hitchens or something, depending on who uploaded that, either it's a case of Christopher Hitchens completely owns Zakir Naik and proves that Islam is a complete myth, or it's a case of Zakir Naik completely owns Christopher Hitchens and proves that actually Islam is based on evidence. Like, it's it's such a, a, it's so hard to get to kind of the bottom of kind of what what the truth is in that regard because both sides seem to have very reasonable arguments based on the source that you're looking at like obviously a right-wing commentator on youtube is going to present it in a way that makes sense but as a sort of fairly uh, sort of uneducated person about this watching that i think oh okay that's that sort of makes sense and then i read me and white supremacy and i think oh obviously that makes sense amazing this is so good but then i read a criticism of that book and think oh actually uh maybe that's reasonable as well like that's kind of the issue that i'm having and i want i want you to help me with this how do i sort sort this out no i have i haven't dug into you know the other side and inverted commas but i can't i can't imagine what the other side would be like what 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 could the other side possibly be to justify you know centuries of slavery and say that like that that hasn't had an effect on things like really i'm sure i'm sure there are in the in the nuances of things yeah there might be some disagreements but yeah i mean are you sure that that this sort of other side exists in a in a meaningful way by people who you consider to be smart and reasonable i think it does um i don't think the other side exists today i don't don't think anyone would deny slavery exists i don't think anyone would deny that it still has an effect today but kind of where's the disagreement uh, well yeah that's where i don't know like beyond those very kind of broad brushstrokes that everyone agrees on the disagreement would be in for 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 example uh, a right-wing commentator is more likely to say that okay well if you look at the stats the majority of uh sort of like a disproportionate amount of crime is committed is, is committed by black people in America. Uh, and therefore, is it really surprising that a disproportionate amount of black people are killed by policemen? White people are killed by policemen as well, but proportionately they, they, they commit less crime per capita. And then, uh, and, and then kind of the, uh, the opposite side of that arguing against that would be like, okay, fine, maybe it is, but you, there's no way you can, you can disentangle that from the environmental backgrounds, the fact that black people in America are far more likely to be of a lower social class. And we know that lower social class is correlated with increased crime rates. Uh, you also can't take uh, take out the systemic racism of the, of the system from that equation. And so partly as a result of the system being anti-black, you've got these crimes being committed by black people because they, they just haven't got any other choice. And then you've got a, right, a, right, a right-wing person saying that, okay, fine, if, if that's your point, that, then that may be true. But that means we need to, dis- we need to figure out kind of we need to figure out ways to kind of lift these people out of poverty but right now what you're doing is you're looting and you're violenting and like burning the streets and that's obviously not helping like it i don't know like i would love for that i think i i would love for the pro black lives matter movement side of things to be clearly the morally and statistically and factually correct way to do it um but i've also seen some very reasonable sounding articles from people arguing that the Black Lives Matter stuff, like, yeah, it's great. Like the majority of, pro- of protesters are peaceful, are protesting peacefully, but um, it's uh, sort of pe- people are arguing that it, well, it's, it's become sort of a, a, a radical left wing sort of in a way 
terrorist organization almost that is promoting these things for these like diff- 10 different reasons. And I read those and think, oh crap, you know, that seems reasonable. And I, I, I don't know enough about the topic at all to be able to figure out who is telling the truth, who is not telling the truth. Because yeah, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm like a staunch lefty. Like I, I, I 100% want to be on the side of, of, of like, you know, tweeting and retweeting and donating and doing whatever I can to support the movement. But whenever I read something from the other side, my problem is that I don't really know how to respond to it. Okay, that's interesting. It's, I, th- I think it's sort of like coming back to the religion example, like um, as a, uh, as a, as a as, as essentially a layperson, someone who hasn't studied kind of Arabic theology and like you know the Christian scriptures and all all that kind of stuff, lay people like like me and you are very poorly placed to actually be able to figure out who like what to believe in these contexts, right? Because if you talk to a Christian apologist, they will argue very convincingly that the Bible is legit. If you talk to a Muslim apologist, they will argue pretty convincingly that the Quran is legit, and you just don't know. Like, like uh, I, I don't know enough here to figure out what the like where where there is the disagreement here. Yeah, um, and that's kind of the position I'm in. Like, I in my in my heart, I am sort of staunch staunch lefty, and I don't want people to people listening to this to to, to think that I'm kind of an apologist for the alt right or something. But also, just me having to say that is this like fear that I have that okay. Maybe there's a bit more nuance here, but I feel like if I were to even step in the direction of commenting that maybe there's a bit more nuance here, what's like where where the fact? Then I would be lambasted as like a you know a paragon for the alt right or, or 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 something like that. So that is that is sort of some of the reasons why I'm finding it so tricky to to sort of okay, read yeah. about all the stuff, and which is why I'm trying to read more books about it to figure out things. Yeah, look, I, I empathize with that. I think I think on on like most issues where there are, you know, seemingly reasonable people on both sides and where the experts, dis- you know, the experts in inverted commas disagree. It's hard to, it's hard to, as a layperson to, to sort of uh, make sense of it all. However, I think there is, I think there's a particular kind of thing that often goes on uh, that may, that sort of, yeah, that there's a particular dynamic that that happens that sort of presents issues as this kind of you know oh no one no one knows the facts no one has the answer kind of or or like you know and so for example you're currently presenting it as if you know there's almost like there's almost like this 50 50 thing of like reasonable voices on both sides who are completely contradicting one another and like how can you make sense of it all and i think social media kind of uh you know it 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 makes it it can make it seem like that uh and not social media, but just kind of the way people talk about this stuff. However, I th- I think it's also possible that in a lot of you know in in a lot of the issues in general, and, and perhaps in this issue in particular, you know, it might be that like both sides actually agree on like eighty percent of stuff. There there is some nuanced twenty percent where there is some level of disagreement. However, the uh the the, the, the they choose to focus on uh the sort of. Twenty percent nuances stuff, uh, which distracts from the eighty percent of everyone actually agreeing, uh, and 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 so even though it's it's like this thing where everyone agrees about the broad strokes, it it, it ends up seeming like oh, I don't know, there's some crazy like fifty fifty thing going on where like you know these guys are talking about looting on this side and these guys are talking about you know a sy- sy- systemic oppression on the other side, and I, I don't know what to make of it. And it kind of it kind of feels to me like this is this is an issue where it's more like eighty percent agreement. 20% like dis, you know d- disagreement about some 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 specific details and nuances however like dwelling on dwelling on that 20% i think is counterproductive because it distracts from the fact that yeah it, it kind of distracts from the main thing like the the whole looting thing for example 
yeah, whatever, fine. It's a pretty defensible position to hold that like losing is bad. You know, sure, go for it. But you know, to to sort of to sort of think that that talking about looting carries the same amount of weight in this whole thing as talking about the rest of the stuff, I think is 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 kind of misguided. I think you know a lot of the sort of right wing commentators are you know are sort of dwelling on the looting thing. For example, it's like okay, yeah, fine. You know, I understand where you're coming from, mate. But uh, frankly, I I don't really care about that right now. And I think that's a very 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 reasonable stance to hold um do you see what i mean about like the the 80 20 being kind of framed more as like a 50 50 yeah i see what you mean about that um i would i would push back a little bit i i i i mean like i don't i don't mean push back i mean i would wonder if there is general you know broad consensus about the 80 percent. then what are people protesting about like people people are protesting about the stuff that there is disagreement on like if everyone agreed that actually black lives do matter and that actually you know Police brutality is a, a you know a bad thing, and th- like all of these different things. Like if everyone actually did agree that, then we would have had change by now. And so uh, the only reason for, for for protest is for people to or, or people who want their voice to be heard who don't have any other any other method for their voices to be heard. So I think it would be nice if it were the case that well, eighty percent of people would agree with these these things, and it's actually only the nuance that we're disagreeing with. But if that were the case, we wouldn't be having protests. Oh no no no. So I. I- I'm not talking about this being like an 80, 80%, 20% thing amongst like the population as a whole. I'm talking about this being like an 80%, 20% thing amongst the people who you would consider smart and reasonable and worth and, and sort of worth taking seriously. I think the danger is when it feels like a 50-50 thing amongst the people who you consider to be smart and reasonable and who you take seriously. That That's that's dangerous because then like, what the hell do you do? But I would I would venture a guess and say this is much closer to like 80%, 20% among those people and it's obviously relative to you you know among those people for you among those people for me you know if you are a you know white policeman in i don't know freaking minnesota or something then you know, the, the 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 sort of voices that you pay attention to and that you value or whatever will probably be very different and maybe it'll be 80 percent, 20 percent the other way but i think yeah do you see what i mean like obviously <laughs> it's not a, it's not a case of like 80 percent of 80 percent of america is like in total agreement about all of this stuff uh, and people are just like marching around for nothing I, i'm saying 80 percent, 20 percent relative to the people you you will you would take seriously yeah okay now that makes a lot of sense um yeah yeah i think part of what i'm concerned about is that like 99 percent of the stuff that i read watch and listen to is sort of the more in in in, and in inverted commas the more left left side of the thing and like 0.5 percent of what i've been sort of like just happened to stumble across because some dude i follow happens to retweet someone who's like a right-wing commentator is is like it's such a small it's such a small proportion of kind of in total the information that i've been consuming on this and even though in my heart i know that this is kind of the right thing and like all of this stuff like makes a lot of sense and you know being white supremacy is a fantastic book and i'm you know reading why i'm no longer talking to white people about race next and i want to learn about all this history stuff i worry to what i, I wonder whether i've actually i'm actually willfully blinding myself to potentially the counter arguments um right and it sort of reminds me of like yeah we're saying this is i think uh, another one of, of the difficulties i have is this this idea that th- this isn't a political issue it's a humanitarian issue and yeah i completely agree clearly it's a humanitarian issue like you know people are dying here these are people's lives at stake this isn't really about politics and yet it kind of is about politics insofar as proportionally like the trump supporting the the trump supporting 50% of america which tends to be more on the right tends to be against these sorts of protests 
Whereas the Obama supporting 50% of America that tends to be more on the left seems to be pro the protest. And that, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's something that I'm trying to, trying to understand a bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, with, I, I, yeah. I think that's, that's a good point. And that, and that's, it's kind of something that I've sort of felt as well, sort of personally. So, you know, I think, I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear sort of, you know, how, how your view about all this sort of social justice stuff in general has, has evolved over the past few years. And I know you, you dwelled on the, you dwelled on this a little bit in your YouTube video. Uh, I think that's a good video and people should watch that. And yeah, so, so like personally, from my point of view, um, yeah, I'll, I'll sort of st- state how, how my sort of take on all this stuff has changed. And I imagine you will echo all of it, really. I can't imagine your experience will be different. But, you know, so we went to like a boys, a boys school, uh, you know, for, for like secondary school or whatever. Right. And, you know, in hindsight, some pretty, pretty horrific stuff used to used to go on. Rampant racism, sexism, homophobia, like, yeah, really really terrible stuff looking back but it didn't seem at least to me it didn't seem it didn't seem terrible at the time it, it didn't seem terrible at the time yeah. you know um and i think arrive you know and you know I, I was i was fairly complicit in in a, in a lot of this you know we'd sort of use uh the, the term gay as a slur and all of this kind of stuff um and arriving at university that was kind of the first time i was sort of made aware that maybe that's not okay maybe all, all that stuff that they used that uh they used to go on at school and the ways in which we used to sort of talk and deal with things that wasn't okay and so arriving at university was was my first sort of experience of that and i think my initial reaction to it it was like a it was sort of to resist a sort of reactionary position of like resisting it of you know I, I think I sort of felt, I, I think in the book, Midwife Supremacy, she, she talks about the idea of, uh, white fragility. I think fragility, fragility is a good word. And I think arriving at university and be, you know, having, having, you know, a bunch of voices saying that, you know, you can't use gay as a slur and, you know, or sort of making me aware of all these issues. There, there was a level of fragility that within me, uh, that meant that my, my sort of gut reaction was like, whoa, this is like, you know, these people are saying, these people are saying I'm bad and <laughs> my way of, my way of life is wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that, I know that can't possibly, that can't possibly be true. And so I'm going to resist this. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I think, I think that was one of the factors. Um, and then the other, the other factor was also that the people who were sort of advocating for all the, the sort of social justice stuff, uh, they were, I, I, I guess I didn't really see them as my tribe. I didn't really identify with them. Uh, and and so i almost saw it as like you know oh that's not my tribe i'm not going to hold those views and it became almost like a faction thing of like you know my my tribe are you know these these other people and and this is how we do things and, and the, the, the other you know, the, yeah the lads mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah exactly and, and it, it sort of turned into that kind of sort of uh i guess you you can call it I don't think identity politics is the right word, but almost like a faction sort of thing where I, I, I sort of decided my stance and my, my interpretation of all of it just based on cho- choosing a tribe and choosing a side and then kind of going with that. And so I, for the first couple of years of university, I was quite resistant to the whole social justice stuff. Um, and I think, yeah, and like, yeah, I, I talked to friends about it and, and things like that. And, I, and actually, I think I broadly, you know, there wasn't i broadly did not disagree with uh most of the people who are advocating for all of these things uh i don't think i i would would disagree with any of their sort of foundational beliefs or anything like that uh so we were you know we we should have been on the same side but i was resistant to it for for this like tribalism sort of thing and for for, from the like fragility point of view uh i think i think you know after a couple of years I, i started coming around 
And I think since graduating from university, I think once now now that I'm sort of outside that bubble of tribalism and, and things like that, and I can, I, yeah, I feel like actually one one of the biggest shifts since graduating from university is just well, sort of being able to make my mind up much more independently about about things. Like looking back, I there wasn't too much independent thinking going on for me at university. It was mostly like picking sides on various issues based on factions and things. But I think since graduating and being outside of that bubble, I've been able to kind of take a step back and you know think you know you call it from first principles or whatever and i find myself a lot more sympathetic to you know all all the stuff that the you know in inverted commas social justice warriors at university were going on about i'm much more sympathetic to it now and much more sort of yeah receptive to supporting all of of that stuff uh if that makes sense and i suspect you know the the whole thing yeah where, where this does turn into like a left versus right thing i think it basically comes down to those two things i mentioned the fragility and the like tribalism thing of like oh no that no these people are like shouting at me that i'm racist or something this a this doesn't feel good and and they're saying i'm a bad person and that can't possibly be right and b like that's not my tribe that's you know this is my tribe and this is how we do things and so i'm going to be against it and so I I suspect a lot of the a lot of the people who would disagree with the movement or whatever would it's it's like a reactionary thing that I I can kind of empathize with because that's that's sort of how I was not too long ago you know yeah uh, I broadly agree I think I had pretty much identical experiences uh, where kind of kind of for the first few years of university I'd be sort of well yeah what's the difference between making a sexist joke and making a this sort of joke be like you know it's really not that bad and like all these other all these sorts of um, yeah. I th- I think I've started coming around in third year just through kind of war of attrition by having this kind of debate with so many of my SJW friends over a very long period of time. And so kind of realizing, oh, actually, this is this stuff is kind of legit. And yeah, uh, that yes, like, fine, free speech and all that stuff. I can make a sexist joke if I really want to, but it just makes me a bit of a dick. <laughs> and that was sort of the, um, the position that I ended up ended up because uh, I think I think one of the one of the common sort of uh, fragility slash tribalism responses to this sort of stuff is by bringing it down to a case of civil right. Like, well, I've got freedom of speech. You can't infringe on my freedom of speech by requiring me, by compelling me to use this gender pronoun. Um, and I think a lot of the right would frame the debate around the legal slash compulsion side of things and sort of hold up free speech as like this ultimate ultimate virtue. Whereas what people like us would say would be like, okay, fine. I can't compel you to use a pronoun, but you know, if you're, if you're misgendering someone on purpose, then it just makes you a bit of an asshole. Um, and I think early on in my university career, I was more focused on, well, technically this isn't true because blah, blah, blah. Whereas now I'm more like, okay, I get that your lived experience of this is a certain way. And given my privilege in all these different domains, I don't really have a leg to stand on to kind of deny your lived experience of this. And that's another another part of like why that's another part of why the sort of the pro Black Lives Matter thing, which just sounds weird to say, because obviously, you know, like, why does it need, even even need to be said? But like, that's a big part of why the pro Black Lives Matter side of this, like, ha- has to be right in all these different ways, because you've got like, literally, you've got like the vast, vast majority of black people in America, if not the world saying that, yeah, we experience racism on a, on, a, on a daily basis. This is real. This is legit. And most of the people arguing against it are white people, uh, mostly white men, who are saying, oh, actually, I don't think your experience of racism is that legit because A, B, C, D, and E. And it, to, deny, to deny the experiences of someone else having an experience that you can't possibly have lived through just seems like absolutely absurd. And so, but, and, and so kind of to echo my kind of viewpoint on this, I fully support 
fully support the movement. I would just love to be more educated about it so that I've got kind of responses against some of the criticisms of it, which currently I don't, I don't have, I don't have response. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I, I imagine, I imagine a lot of, yeah, the decent chunk of our listeners who, uh, might you know i imagine a decent chunk of them would be in the same boat that uh in the same boat now that you and i were at the start of university where you know you're, you're starting to hear about all this like social justice stuff it all seems a bit extreme like you know it, you know you kind of don't want to go along with it um and i think uh yeah I, I i'd encourage anyone who's feeling that way to sort of try yeah try and ignore the fragility stuff and try and ignore the uh tribalism stuff and yeah just just try 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 and see what the actual issue is and i you know, I think most re- reasonable, compassionate people would uh, would actually be in, in support of all of it. But I, I do feel like when it comes to these issues, this communication is just it's it's difficult. You know, it, I ha- I think uh, yeah, com- communication from one side to the other is is just quite yeah, just quite poor. I think. And like, you know, so in, in, uh, in me and white supremacy, and you mentioned this in your video as well, I think one of the really good, good points that she made was that, uh, a lot of people when confronted with, for example, uh, a black person talking about, uh, their experiences of racism and things, uh, a lot, a lot of people might, uh, start doing what's called tone policing at that point where, you know, if, uh, if, if the person who's trying to you know, describe uh, their experiences of oppression to you, if they're sort of emotional about it, or if, if they're sort of frustrated or angry or anything like that, if they're not basically speaking in, you know, in a completely neutral, dispassionate, you know, sort of tone that appeals perfectly to you, you wouldn't like be receptive to it. And you'll kind of dismiss them because I don't know, they seem they seem a bit nuts or whatever. Uh, and I think, I think that I, I kind of, I think I did a lot of that at university and yeah, I, th- I think there was a lot of like internal tone policing on my side where I'd, I'd kind of see the way in which people were talking about these things and be like, Oh man, there's, you know, those people seem a bit nuts. Like this is, this isn't for me, man. Like, come on, get, get a grip, like be reasonable, chill out. Then we can have a discussion. That, that was kind of my, mm. my, my view on it. Uh, and I imagine many listeners might, might share that view. Uh, and the, th- the thing is, I think, uh, I think on an individual level, it's, uh, well, you know, I, I think that the tone policing thing is, is not a good thing. And, you know, the, the way, just because someone is saying something in a, in a way that doesn't particularly appeal to you, it doesn't diminish from the content of what they're saying. And to like focus on the way, the way that they're saying it rather than, uh, the, the, the sort of content is, is pretty unfair. However, I think the, the reason, uh, I think if, if you kind of, you know, if, for example, someone is sort of, uh, emotionally or angrily explaining to you the ways in which they've been, uh, sort of mistreated and, and oppressed, there's, there's two sort of responses to it. One response is like, uh, one response is the sort of tone policing response, which is kind of like, oh man, like, wh- why, why are you yelling? You know, just sit, sit down, you know, ch- chill out. <laughs> then maybe we can talk. You know, I can't take you seriously like this. That, that, that's one response. And the other response is, hmm, this is my fellow man. Uh, they're clearly upset about this thing. Uh, I, yeah, I have concern for my fellow man. Uh, and it's not good that they're upset. And, I'd love to understand why and, and and do whatever I can to help them. And I think the reason why someone would land on the tone policing side rather than the compassionate camaraderie, yeah, compassionate camaraderie side is I think it, it kind of comes down to, I feel like it just, it just has to come down to the, the, the factions thing, because if someone from your, if, if someone who you saw as being in your own faction was upset, frustrated, emotional, angry about something, you'd be receptive to it. You'd think, man, this uh, this is my faction comrade. If they're upset about this thing, there must be something to it. 
we've got to put this right. Whereas if you if you see that that same kind of uh, communication style from someone of the opposite faction, you know, you, you kind of, you, you don't interpret it in the same way. And so I, I really feel like a lot of this just comes down to sort of reactionary tribalism. And a lot of our responses to to all of this stuff is it's just kind of dictated by that you know um yeah yeah absolutely i think i think different different sorts of arguments appeal to different sorts of people as as a result of this kind of tone policing thing and i was very much sort of massively guilty of that kind of when i was at university and i still think like internally i do this to an extent even now um which is that I would I would consider myself a fairly sort of logical, rational sort of guy who doesn't get emotional about things very much. And so the exactly the same argument about why, um, like exactly the same argument about about anything, you know, why these protests are important and why they're actually legit and why we shouldn't focus on the violence and the looting and why police officers need to be reformed. Exactly the same argument delivered by someone who is doing it in a neutral, dispassionate sort of, yeah. effectively exactly the same argument delivered by a white man and with and, and all the baggage associated with that, I think deep down internally, I would be I'd be more convinced than, for example, if it were delivered by someone who was saying the same points but doing it as sort of loudly emotionally while while they were crying, just to sort of take two huge extremes of the of, of the thing. And that's and that's really bad. And that's something that I'm I, I I'm kind of actively trying to work on. And I suspect that if most if if most people are being honest, then you're more likely to be receptive to an argument that is coming from the sort of person that you more identify with. Yeah, so, for sure. So, for example, one of yours or mine, I don't know, like black women, uh, social justice warrior type friends would be far, would would not be at all receptive to the to an argument from someone like Sam Harris. Whereas someone like you and me, for example, or most of our friends would be reasonably receptive to an argument from someone like Sam Harris. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, it's just so bad. And. Uh, it's so hard to get over that, but I suspect, yeah, obviously the first step is to recognize that it's an issue and then to, well, yeah, I think, it. I think it, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to get over that. And I, you know, I think a lot of, I, I feel like a lot of people on the other side of this are grappling with that, you know, and I, what, I remember one thing that I always used to get hung up on, uh, in these discussions at university was this whole thing that, uh, you know, many many people say of like you know this thing that you can't be racist to white people and that used to i I used to kind of get hung up on that because it didn't quite feel right Mm. and i think i think a lot of people get hung up on that and i think they do that was a huge chunk of the comments on in response to my video yeah yeah and i think like you know of of course like the tone policing isn't right it's you know it's it's not it's not a reasonable thing to do but like i think you know lots lots of people are doing it and Yes, we should try and convince them not to do it, but it also helps to sort of frame things uh, in a in a way that uh, other people might be more receptive to. And I think that the the sort of the framing of like you can't be racist to white people is is something that uh, I I think I still don't quite agree with it because it's 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 sort of like a definitions yeah, thing. It's a very and much it, semantics it, game. Yeah, it, it, it's like a pure it's like a pure semantics thing uh, that kind of, that sort of inflames a, a discussion because you know if. If you read a dictionary or whatever, and and for most people growing up, for example, I'm going to speak for the UK or whatever, but like most people growing up here, there the, the the working definition of racism that the vast majority of the population subscribes to is racism is when you are, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of when you're mean to someone because of their race, yeah, <laughs> yeah when you're mean to someone because of the color of their skin, that's what racism is. And you know, to say to say to someone you you know you can't be racist to white people, it's like you know. It, you're, you're sort of redefining it 
and that's fine. I think I think it, it it is a reasonable thing to redefine, but it is more helpfully framed in a different way rather than you know ju- just just saying that just saying something that completely contradicts most people's definition of it. And I and I the the way I kind of the way I wish I'd sort of thought about this uh, a lot sooner is is that. Um, yeah kind of that you know there there is you know if, if you're thinking about people being mean to other people because of their skin color you know there, there's a lot of different ways to do that there's like you know some white kid in the playground might get name called uh, a particular word or something and yeah that's someone being mean to them because of their skin color uh and then there's also the being mean to someone because of their skin color where uh black people you know fear sort of any kind of confrontation with law enforcement because uh that there's a much higher chance they'll get unjustly killed. Uh, there's also the, the sort of being mean to people because of their skin color, where uh, a black person wouldn't be hired uh, despite being more qualified than the equivalent white person, all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, a white guy in the playground being called a cracker or whatever is, is obviously very different to, uh, you know, it, it's a very different kind of being mean to someone for their skin color than all the other stuff we're talking about. And the main difference is sort of the systemic nature of the, the racism against black people. And so it doesn't really make sense to have this one word, racism, referring to such a wide range of things. And really the much more meaningful uh, sort of sense of racism is the systemic uh, the sort of systemic oppression of uh, of black people that is far more meaningful than the kind of surface level being mean to someone because of their skin color, and that's that's like the real issue that needs to be sorted out and talked about, and that's that's why it makes sense to redefine racism as specifically you know being mean to someone because of their skin color in a way that is complemented by some kind of power structure that leads to sort of system, systematic oppression. That's the real issue, uh, and I think I think fr- framing it that way, I would have been very very receptive to it uh but i think a lot of a lot of the time it was just framed as this like nope you can't be racist to white people and my interpretation of that was almost like it's fair game to be mean to white people because of their race and that obviously doesn't sit right that like i think most people who are going by the normal definition of racism if you if you tell them you can't be racist to white people no there's no such thing as being racist to white people i think most people would interpret that to mean that this person is saying it is fair game for me to be mean to someone uh, to, to a white person because their skin color, and I think most people wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to subscribe to that. And at that point, it's like, okay, this this person is saying you can't be racist to white people. That's obviously that's obviously not true. I mean, come on, man. Like, how can I take this person seriously at this point? And so, I think it's helpful to actually frame things in the right way to you know to to, to sort of accomplish the goal of communication, right? And so, yes, tone policing is tone policing is bad. You know, you, you shouldn't do it. But also for the you know for people who want to communicate with people who disagree on these issues like it's helpful to, to sort of frame things in a way that appeals to the other side right yes uh, i think you really, and, really sorry finish your point and then i'll say something and yeah like even you for example actually i'm curious to hear your, your take on this so like in, in your youtube video you you made this point of like you know race of like you can't be racist to white people and you framed it in the classic way of just saying actually i found out that in the book she says you can't be racist to white people uh and and here's why uh, and you you kind of stuck within the same frame, which I think was unhelpful. And then you you also tweeted something about like, man, white people really get triggered when you say you can't be racist to white people or something. <laughs> uh, I'm curious as to like what the thought process was there, and as someone trying to like communicate about this stuff, why did you fall into that? Okay, that's a good question. Um, so in my video, I can remind myself what I said. Okay, so in my video, the point that I was making uh, about was about educating myself. And it was about kind of this transformation that I had uh, at, at university where I went from 
thinking, you know, clearly this is BS that you can't be racist to white people to being like, oh, okay, fine. The reason you're saying that is because there's the system of this systemic oppression plus being mean to someone because of their race. And that's what makes it racism rather than prejudice. Okay, I understand that now. And the point I made was that uh, I realized that, you know, these people are like, essentially, black people have, have enough on their plate short like and educating me is is something that i should take into account myself rather than relying on my black friends to educate me that was sort of the wider point um the i don't think there was anything particularly controversial about that because i did explain the sort of the definition of it i probably should have if the point of that video was to change someone's mind who was who did not believe it then i did a bad job that wasn't really the point of the video I, I, i wasn't really thinking about what is the point of this i was more thinking that okay my only objective here is to encourage people to educate themselves because i actually don't know shit i do not know what i'm talking about but i do know that i've learned I've sort of made a few uh, transformations in my thinking over the years through trying to educate myself. Okay. That, that was the only objective of that video. It, had I been trying to sort of change change a white person's mind about how why you can't be racist towards white people, I would have sort of given it a much more uh, sort of proper analysis and probably come to your side and be like, okay, guys, like the reason we're, we're, we're worrying about this is because we disagree on the definition of racism. Your definition of racism is as such. This used to be my definition as well. And then I, and then I realized that all this, this and that and read the book to, to find out more. That wasn't the objective. Um, okay, fair. I think the more interesting side of it is why I tweeted the phrase, uh, damn, white people really get triggered when you say you can't be racist to white people. Uh, partly was playing into the Twitter, uh, into the sort of uh, what one does on Twitter. Um, Wait, partly, what does that mean? What what is What do you mean by that? As in, it's a... Uh, it's an anti-white people tweet. Uh, it's deliberately inflammatory okay. and it's good and, and it will appeal to uh, the it, 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 it will appeal to the left because it's, the be, sort of, yeah. it's, it's, it's a sort of sort of statement that everyone who has had a chat with white people about racism about can can resonate with that. Damn, white people really get triggered if you say you, you can't be racist to white people. Partly the word trigger as well is also, you know. Uh, a cheeky uh, nod, uh, if you will, uh, you know, paying homage to that kind of left-wing uh, term. Usually, uh, it, it was sort of playing the game of sort of piling on this. I I, I got a little bit of a kick out of tweeting that, uh, thinking that yeah, you know, I'm a I'm an agent of the left. I can also yeah. kind of toss out this zinger without worrying, without actually having uh, without it being designed to change anyone's mind. Purely, uh, this is. Pure tribalism, 100%. That was, that was the reason. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, the point I was going to make aside from that is that I think this I think this idea of um, the tone in which you say something does matter, even though tone policing is bad. I think that's a really good point. And I think that is probably where people like you and me can actually make some semblance of a difference in this debate. Like you and I do not experience, uh, you know, racism uh, to anywhere near the extent that our black friends do or that our black friends in America would. Um, I think you and I, given that we have a platform and, you know, are, quote, reasonably smart people, um, we what we can do is we can form the case for, you know, form, form the case for, for the left, as it were. And I, I, I would love for there to be a better way of framing that because I know people are going to be email and be like, oh, my God, it's not really bad. You know, I get it. It's, a, it's an, a, an imperfect way of phrasing it. But I think... Kind of going back to the point, I think you and I can make a difference in that we can form the case for the left in a neutral, dispassionate, analytical fashion, which would appeal to the sorts of people like us who are more on the right, who are possibly probably white dudes um, who are genuinely thinking that, well, you know, what's what's going on here? Um, clearly, clearly, there's something to it. They're like, I'm I'm open to having my mind changed on these issues if yeah. they were, but it would be nice if they were presented in the right way. And we can say all we like that actually, guys, you know, in an ideal world, you white people would educate yourself and you wouldn't require, you know, a brown person to teach you about about racism and stuff. But that is, 
you know, if we want to affect change in the world in any small way, we do like, <laughs> unfortunately, the burden of uh the burden of work, the proof of work, as as it were, it kind of needs to come from our side because thanks to inertia and thanks to white supremacy and white privilege and white fragility and white silence and all of these different things, there is no incentive for white people to change their mind. Whereas we are very much incentivized to want them to change their mind. And therefore, if we can present all of these things in an analytical, dispassionate, new, dispassionate neutral way that would engage those sorts of people, that would actually be a value add. Because from trying to find the stuff, I've come across very few examples that are framed in the sort of way that would have appealed to me when I was 21, 21 years old. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and, that, and that's kind of why, uh, you know, at the moment, my YouTube's like homepage suggestions is Steven Crowder. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. He's like sort of this huge kind of, uh, arguably alt-right uh, commentator who makes videos and sort of makes fun of all these things like, you know, gender issues and transgender people. And he would, he would kind of goes on university campuses in America uh, in, it gets invited by the Republican societies uh, and all the liberals like protest and demand he be taken off campus because what he's shouting is sort of like alt-right Nazi ideology. Like, that is the the sort of dude this guy is. Um, but my my whole U YouTube homepage is sort of his videos now because he's got a load of videos about these things. And from watching some of them, I've been thinking, oh, damn, these are actually really good points. I need a good analytical way to dismantle these points. And I don't have that yet. And so what I'm trying yeah. to do is sort of sort of when it comes to I think when it comes to investigating any ideology that we hold close to us, for example, um, let's say that let's, you know, uh, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say you were born into a Muslim family and you've been Muslim all your life. And now you're thinking, OK, let me actually figure out uh, why I'm Muslim and what the deal is here. I think an effective way of going about that is to try and find all of the positions that disagree with you and then see if you can kind of dismantle those because you, you're already starting from such a huge bias towards being Muslim. Equally, from, from my end, I'm starting with such a, a ridiculously huge bias towards being pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-everything, pro-left, you know, pro-choice. I think that's like a left. Like, basically, I'm, I'm a staunch lefty in, in every single way, but that is such a huge bias that I'm trying to actively figure out what the other side is saying so that I can educate myself enough to be able to provide a neutral, dispassionate reasoned response to it as someone with enough privilege that this issue doesn't actually affect me as much as it affects other people and for those people i can completely appreciate and imagine that you know what you don't is that it, it it might not be possible if if even desirable to form a fully neutral dispassionate analysis of the situation does that make sense yeah uh yeah i think you kind of made two points there i think i i, I definitely agree with you first about you know uh one thing that that you and i can do is sort of frame these things and in a way that would have appealed to to us back in uh, in the, I would say we are we are sort of uh, the newly the newly woke nouveau woke, if you will, uh, and free that you know we, we should frame things in a way that would appeal to people who aren't quite there yet, and I think that that's something useful we can do with regards to the thing about like you know if you strongly sort of fall on one side of a thing and you want to like learn more then it's useful to uh kind of hear the other uh, the other point of view i think i think I, I agree with that with the caveat that there are a lot of cognitive is the wrong word there are a lot of like tr uh, sort of rhetorical again rhetorical isn't quite the right word but that there are a lot of traps you can fall into if you are approaching things from like a, a critical lens you know, I think, yeah, for example, I, it comes back to kind of what I was saying where, you know, let, let's say, you know, you're, you're strongly like pro black lives matter. It's a stupid, it's a stupid phrase to say like strongly pro black lives matter, but like black lives matter as in the, the movement rather than 
the you know the, the sentiments that Black Lives Matter. Okay, so let's say you're, you're strongly pro Black Lives Matter, and you're like, okay, I want to I want to try and see sort of see the other side. I think a bad. I, I think I actually think it's not generally to, to understand the other side of something. It's not generally good to understand any side from like a critical point of view. Like to to get to the to to get to the heart of you know the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't think it's that helpful to approach it from a critical angle and to get to the heart of why the people against the movement feel the way they feel i don't think it's helpful to approach it from a critical angle i think if you really uh i, I think you know that there are going to be reasonable sounding valid sounding criticisms to any and everything under the sun you know fi- uh, critiquing something is trivial you can do it for basically anything and it's very easy to use rhetoric and and sort of frame things in a way that makes uh, a, a critique sound reasonable and uh, and sophisticated and all that stuff and it's a very easy trap to fall into where you kind of you read a critique of something that sounds pretty oh, it sounds pretty smart or maybe we've got a point there or something uh and it's easy to, to sort of fall into the trap of like i think a value putting a high value on like a critique of something and also like giving every giving every voice and everything uh an equal weighting so for example one thing that I think is really sort of distracting from from the point of all of this is the whole the whole sort of side side quest of the the looting thing, you know, <laughs> uh, and like you know, I think raising the issue of like the looting or whatever, it's kind of trying to it's kind of leading people down this side quest of giving equal weight to the looting issue as they are giving to you know the wider issues, which I think is is uh, is not the right way to approach this. So I, I think. I think yeah. I- okay, so I'm just going to disagree with you on a point on a point there, um, and you'd probably agree with this. But like, given that the ultimate objective is to try and change people's minds, um, the people who are kind of against the Black Lives Matter movement are the people who are focusing on issues like the looting just to give us the the side quest of the looting, which we know to be a completely side issue that actually detracts from the main issue. But the people who are against a Black Lives Black Lives Matter are holding that up as a reason to not support the movement. And so in order to engage with those sorts of people, you have to, <laughs> I'm going to sound very uh, sort of non-woke by saying this, but you have to engage them in some kind of dialogue about the issue that they are currently talking about. Like the reason people are focusing on the pro, on the on the looting, for example, is because the media has been focusing on the looting. And to change people's minds about that, you have to give them some some compelling evidence as to why they shouldn't care about the looting and what the, what the, what the major issues are. Um, I think given that the objective the ultimate objective is to change people's minds. Uh, I think it is helpful to approach it and be like, okay, w- what are the critics saying? What's Fox News saying? What are the Trump supporters listening to? And sort of making that as a reasonable starting point for, okay, here are, here's a point about the facts about police brutality. Here's a point about the facts about, again, you know, the disproportionate crime rate for black people. Here's a fact. Here's a point about how uh, they're burning and causing more damage to the economy than has been seen since the Great Depression. Like, for, for example, I don't think those are points they're making, but at least it gives you a sort of list of one, two, three, that, okay, now while I'm reading uh, this book or that book or watching this video from Emmanuel Acho or like, w- watching this thing or watching, I don't know, um, I, I, uh, watching anything to educate, then, then you've got this sort of list of talking points where you're like, okay, I'm trying to figure out answers to these questions because predominantly I agree with what is being said. I, I'm predominantly, I am fully pro hashtag Black Lives Matter, but I need to create, I need to create responses to these. And that's why I think it is helpful to figure out what the salient uh points of critique are so that you can figure out how to get on top of them in the course of your reading 
It's sort of like when you're preparing for an essay at university, having the title of the essay in mind helps guide your reading. Whereas if you just sort of read a book just for the sake of understanding, it's a lot harder to then sort of actually, you then have to reread the book to pretty much form your essay. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, but the point I was trying to make was that uh, it's an easy trap to fall into to get too caught up in like, uh, the sort of the, the critical view of things where it's like point, counterpoint, you know, counter counterpoint, you know, get, getting caught up in, in those kinds of, uh, tra- trains of, uh, trains of thought. Why is that bad? Sorry. Why is that bad? Like point, counterpoint, counter counterpoint is how you change people's minds about things. No. Okay. So I think that that's fundamentally where, where we disagree. It's, it's part of how you change. It's, it's, it's how you change the, the people's minds about things kind of, it's how you would have changed 21 year old me's mind about things. And that is the sort of person that I'm personally targeting as, as you, you know, the person whose mind I can change. It's not by appealing to, oh my God, guys, you know, the plight of these people is really bad. You know, have a heart. Like that is not how you change 21 year old Ali's mind. You change him by being point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint to the point that he can't argue anymore. Uh, I, so I don't, I don't think the opposite of point, counterpoint uh, is have a heart, man. Come on, be nice or whatever. I, I don't think that's the opposite of it at all. And um, po- po- look, it's possible that if someone sat you down and had a point, counterpoint style discussion with you about something, you might then change your mind on it. However, uh, I think that the reason I'm I'm skeptical of that that view of things uh, on the internet is because it's not a clear one to one sitting down with someone and having this point counterpoint thing. It's not like that at all. It's like it's like very meandering. Okay, so the the, the point counterpoint thing, if you have that as a one on one thing with someone in real life or fine over text or whatever, you're, you're both sort of on the on the same page, and the sort of path that you're drawing out is this sort of zigzagging path going downwards towards the truth or whatever, right? That's kind of how you imagine it, right? However, I think if you if you are trying to educate yourself about a topic on the internet and you try and approach it in that particular way it doesn't end up as this nice neat zigzagging path down towards the truth but it actually ends up as this sort of zigzagging ever expanding tree of like but you know counterpoints that are sort of actually kind of tangential and then like you you you, you'll go down some some tangents that aren't actually that related to the main point and then you know other counterpoints where the guy sounds really smart or something, what he's actually saying is complete bollocks, but you're not smart enough to read through the rhetoric. Like it's okay. I think, I, I think it, you're it, imagining, in theory, I think you're imagining sorry. me having this sort of point counterpoint discussion on with someone on Twitter. I'm not imagining that at all. I'm imagining no, no, no. understanding point counterpoint to, to in, in the format that the courage to be disliked is written. Um, okay. Yes. But that, but that, yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's good. Okay, well, how, how do we get on to the discussion? I think we're, we're sort of losing track of the context. And, and I think this is an example of why the point-counterpoint thing <laughs> doesn't doesn't quite no, work. But, uh, no, okay, so the the reason we got onto that is because we were talking about what we can personally do. And I was saying that the reason I am, I'm watching alt-right videos is because I want to figure out what their main counterpoints are so that I can build a sort of neutral, dispassionate, defensive, kind of the pro-life, uh, pro uh Black Lives Matter movement based off of that in the format of the courage to be disliked. Whereas, you know, it's that classic thing of like to if you to to really fully understand a topic, you need to be able to argue the other side of it as con- like more convincingly than the other side can. Yeah. Um, and I think once you well, once you've done that, you can then build a sort of okay, uh, here is a sort of 
point counterpoint point counterpoint and and for me what i'm imagining is that if i were to make a youtube video for for example with with like i probably wouldn't but but if i were if i were to make a youtube video with the title of why you can't be racist to white people i would love for it to be in the point counterpoint format that this is what i would have said and this is a response and then you might say this and then the response is that and hopefully leading the viewer down a path similar to how in the courage to be disliked you start off with one thing and then you're like okay i've i've launched all my counterpoints at you and i'm led to this conclusion where i kind of have to change my mind which was the sort of experience i had through reading that book i think that's experience you had as well and that's experience i have whenever i read a a a well-defended piece of analysis about a particular point or i think okay cool you've addressed all of the queries all of the immediate things that came to my mind and you've led to me led me to this conclusion and that is why i now believe what i believe and that's what i would like to be able to do I'd, I'd love my kind of knowledge and education about the subject to get to a point where I can do that for most of these topics. Uh, yes, I I agree that if you are if your view is to create a piece of content that would appeal to the other side or whatever, then presenting things in that way would be helpful. I agree with that. The thing, the the point that I'm trying to make is slightly different. The point that I'm trying to make is that if you are personally okay, for example, uh, let, let me propose an alternate an alternate approach to oh. trying to understand the other side. Oh. I think it's more useful to try and sort of build up a case for and empathy and understanding for each side from the ground up separately, and then to try and understand how they come together and ultimately disagree. I think that is a better way to understand both sides. I think if you if you, if you you have sort of built up a case for one side already, you know, you're a lefty or whatever, and so uh, you're pro all of this stuff and you've kind of built up that case, and now you're trying to use the points of criticism as an entry point into understanding the other side. I think in theory it could work. I think in practice it, there, there's like lots of traps to fall into it can it, it can lead you down you know lots of unproductive lines of thinking and lines of argument that they often miss the main point and to a large extent i think the other side you know when they bring you know when, when someone brings up an issue like looting or whatever uh i think to a large extent it is a it's a like reactionary thing of okay i don't like that tribe uh they're doing this bad thing over there so they, they can't possibly right, be right anyway because they're doing this bad thing so let's draw attention to this uh this is a bad thing. And I think that there's a lot of that that goes on. And so if you focus on this, like, let's read the critique and then the counter critique and all of that kind of stuff, you will get bogged down in most of that kind of BS. Uh, however, if you seek to sort of try to understand the other side from the ground up, you will, uh, you will sort of develop some empathy for why, why they want to believe what they believe. I think what the wanting to believe is really crucial here because I think on all sides, the, the starting position is I want to believe something. I want to believe whatever thing, yeah. and you know, based on your, uh, yeah, b- based on the, the environment you've grown up in and the, the other sort of beliefs you subscribe to, you will, you will want to believe. You will have an, an instinctive response of wanting to believe the Black Lives Matter movement or wanting to believe uh, the the other side. And then I think a lot of the discourse is just like you know, BS sort of justifications and rationalizations about why the thing you want to believe is actually correct. And so my my point is, if if you are approaching learning about these issues in that particular in in the way of like looking at critiques and counter critiques, I think you are mostly going to get caught up in B- BS that isn't the main point that either side actually care about. And th- that's that's all I'm trying to say. That like. D- don't put so much weight on critiques and, and and partly why i feel strongly about this is because i think in the past i used to put far too much weight on critiques and um you know if uh if i if i sort of read something yeah yeah it's kind of what you describe you read something from one expert uh then another expert like in inverted commas debunks it or whatever then you're like oh, okay i guess he's right and then you go back oh, okay i guess he's right or whatever um i think i used to overweight critiques and miss the main point of most things and i would uh 
I just want to some, throw some caution about that. Okay, yeah, I buy that. That seems very reasonable. Um, it sounds it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that actually a lot of these a lot of these issues and a lot of the things that will come up. Um, I'm 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 sort of imagining if you. I'm sort of imagining a tree uh, and a lot of the kind of critique is about the branches and the leaves of that tree. Whereas if you can really seek to understand the trunk of the tree, you actually yeah. don't need to touch on a lot of the things because it just adds, it just addresses so much. Whereas you can spend yeah. your whole life trying to tackle all the, all the different leaves and all the different aspects of this. Be like, oh, but that, but that, but that. And never end up really fully understanding the core of the belief system. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good metaphor. That's, I'm, I'm very impressed. Thank you. Um, how, so with that in mind, how do I go about understanding, <laughs> understanding the other? I, I, I barely understand like, uh, like our side's tree. <laughs> so I think the first step is probably to understand our side's tree. The first step is probably to understand our side's tree by reading more about this stuff and then being like, okay, I've, I can make a bit. I can make a pretty reasoned argument as to why we believe what we believe. Uh, you know, even though that that is what I want to believe, keeping keeping that in mind. Let me try and figure out. Like, how how would you go about figuring out the other sides of it? Like, do you want to read it? Uh, I mean, I I can't think of anything immediately at the top of my head other than watching videos about anti Black Lives Matter or kind of reading a I don't know, <laughs> Mind Camp or something like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe Mein Kampf is more of a trunk rather than a leaves thing. But I, I believe I have cottoned on to an author who might be able to help with this. So I, I bought a couple of books on Kindle recently. One is called Discrimination and Disparities. Uh, it's by a guy called Thomas Sowell, Sowell, Sowell something like that. Uh, and another one is called A Conflict of Visions by the same guy. And I believe these these books present a sort of a trunk a trunk-like discourse against uh, all the kind of social justice movement and kind of ways of thinking about things. I, I believe that, I mean, not not explicitly against it. Like, it, it's not like this guy saw some SJWs and was like, no, I don't like those people. I'm going to write a thing against it. It's, I think, I believe it, it proposes a different way of viewing all of this stuff that in large part goes against the uh, social justice movement, social justice kind of uh, rhetoric methodology, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's, it's a, yeah, a guy called Thomas Thomas Sowell, S O W E L L. Discrimination and disparities and a conflict of visions. Uh, those seem interesting. Yeah, it's uh, a conflict of visions. The, the subtitle is ideological origins of political struggles, uh, and I don't think the other one has a, a subtitle. But yeah, I bought those. I think it'll be pretty interesting uh, to to kind of yeah. I, I think it'll be an interesting trunk like view into into the other side i think also i, I was thinking like for, for for the next episode like you and i are pretty you know practically laymen who are staunch lefties but that's because we want to be staunch lefties we actually don't know anything about this i wonder if we've got, if we know anyone or if anyone who's listening to this you know this hour and a half and is reasonably kind of well versed in these topics what if, if if it would be worth bringing someone on as a guest to kind of just explain what's going on in a way that we haven't really done this this episode i feel like this episode has been a lot of sort of uh like i i, I kind of approached this approached this from the assumption that obviously everyone listening to this is pro black lives matter and obviously that's the right side of the fence to be on uh and i'm sort of querying what kind of the nuances are but i don't think it's it's particularly satisfying discussion for anyone who's not sort of uh identity wise a staunch lefty if that makes sense um do we know anyone who'd be up for hanging out um 
I don't know really. I think it's it's tough to have guests on when it's remote. I think we've we've tried this before in the past. And I, don't, I don't think it's ideal. So no, I mean it's not ideal in terms of like a sort of a banter perspective. But I think kind of given what's going on in the world, we don't need to prioritize banter, and we can actually just think about you know having having someone on who knows what they're talking about about some of these some of these issues. Yeah, maybe maybe I know some people. I don't know. We can have a think. Um, good place. To yeah. The, 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 no, no. The fun, uh, there's one final thing I want to touch on. Yes, please do. Uh, the final thing I want to touch on is uh, is righteousness. And I think righteousness is uh, a big, a huge factor in why communication is so poor across across the divide. Um, now, I think we, we had this discussion in a group chat with our... Yeah, I actually, I, I actually, I'm, I'm actually desperate for a wee. I'll be right back. And this is a pretty long wee. He's been gone for about five minutes now. Sorry, I'm back. You were talking about righteousness. Uh, yeah. Uh, just to bring up a quick side note on my earlier point, I think a conflict of visions is more more the book that you're looking for. Uh, much more so than uh, discrimination. I'm buying that on Kindle right now. Not sponsored. Uh, Okay, yeah. So my point about righteousness. So I think, you know, the the scenario in which you, you made that tweet about like, uh, you know, a lot of white people get so triggered when you when you say that uh, you know, I'm racist to white people. I think um, we had this discussion in this group chat, which uh, you may recall. I think uh, th- this is a common dynamic that plays out in uh, in all sorts of these discussions because it's it's one of those scenarios where both sides will go away feeling largely frustrated. You know, like for example, the, the person telling telling you that uh, you can't be racist to white people and you're not getting it, that person will go away feeling frustrated of like, you know, this, this guy just isn't getting it. Uh, and, and the person who's being told that to will go away feeling, feeling frustrated that like, I've no idea what this other person is talking about that's so obviously wrong. Um, but both sides will go away with a, a sort of a satisfying sense of righteousness that sort of the other person is wrong, bad, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the the sort of the, the person who's trying to tell you that you can't be racist to white people will, will, you know, they'll mostly go away with, with a negative sentiment, but then there may also be a sliver of sort of a feeling of righteousness of like, haha, you know, oh, that's just you know, racist or whatever. And, and that righteous, that the sort of feeling of righteousness is why you made that tweet and why you knew that you know, the rest of the tribe would like that tweet. It's because it gives you a sense of righteousness. Uh, and the other, per- the person on the other side will go away with a sense of righteousness of like, oh my God, yeah, I, I knew those people were, were, were like, ridiculous all along like how can i take this seriously like that's obviously not true um you know and so the the the, the sort of sense of righteousness uh kind of reinforces each person into their own positions uh and you know like i said bo- both go away feeling largely frustrated and that leads them to dislike each other and it's this sort of it's a sort of tragic deadlock that happens constantly in these discussions uh and it's obviously like net negative like very net negative that these two people have failed at communicating with one another and they've both gone away feeling frustrated. But there's this like sliver of feeling of righteousness that kind of makes people keep doing it. Cause even though it's like largely a negative outcome for both parties, there's like this, uh, this little bit of candy in the, in the form of the righteousness that, uh, that kind of re- reinforces it. Uh, and so I think, yeah, trying I, to, I think this is sort of the case with any sort of any sort of debate where where it is a matter of identity, like Windows versus Mac. Both parties will walk away from that with a feeling of righteousness. The Windows crowd is going to think that, oh yeah, he's clearly just a uh, you know pay, paying all this money for these specs that don't even matter, and blah, blah blah. And the Mac crowd is going to think, oh my god, this guy, you know, clearly he's focusing too much on the numbers and not enough on, on the user experience. And both parties will walk away from that conversation thinking that, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm supporting Apple, yeah. Microsoft, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so in a sense, it's like, you know, but both sides are kind of getting higher on their own supply. <laughs> you know, I think that's, the, <laughs> that's a good analogy. 
and it obviously doesn't benefit either of them um but yeah i i think i think it's good to try and note it, it's very helpful to try and notice when you personally feel the sense of righteousness i think i don't know i don't know what good can come out of a sense of righteousness over your fellow man but uh i think being able to tell when when that's happening with you is a really good first step to then being able to take a step back and thinking okay like what what's my actual frame of mind here am i just like doing this as like a tribalism thing do i actually care about like you know is my primary purpose actually to communicate with with this other person or is it to you know to just like reinforce my own tribe or whatever um yeah i think like learning to notice when you feel righteous and trying to uh, unpack that uh has definitely been helpful for me Oh, that's an uh, that's an interesting way of framing it. I think back in the day, I used to watch a lot of uh, you know Ben Shapiro owns this SJW type videos on YouTube. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is absolutely not the case. Absolutely not the way to get get at truth. It's the way to fuel your own your own confirmation bias. Fuel your own sense of righteousness. Um, yeah. I've now stopped doing those things, but. Uh, yeah, I think framing it as a sort of recognizing that sense of righteousness within yourself and recognizing it as probably a negative prognostic factor for the thing that you're trying to do is is very helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was just the the final point I wanted to make. Uh, I guess we can read a review and uh, maybe there's some insights. Any insights from you this week, Ali? Um, uh, I had I had a few things. I'll I'll save that for next time because we're at one hour and thirty seven minutes now. Uh, okay, let me see my insights recently. Ah, okay, here's my insight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I told. I, I think I messaged you when I had this, and I said, "Oh, I've got a great thing to bring up on the next podcast." Um, so earlier this week, at the start of the week, so I, bu- I bought a PS4 last week. Uh, I think I, did. I mention this on the last episode. I, I think I did. I don't know if the last episode is actually the podcast that we're because we're changing uh, yeah, sure. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I bought a PS4 last week to be able to play games with my friend uh, because I felt like that would be a more meaningful sense of uh, more meaningful way to socialize than having like a group group call or whatever. Um, and I've, I had a session on the PS4 with uh, with a couple of friends. Uh, you, you know them, Sahib and Shuaib. Uh, we all played some Warzone. Uh, we're all like relatively bad at it. Uh, anyway, it was like it was like a ton of fun. Uh, it was like exactly the exactly it was fun for exactly the reasons that I that I thought it would be, which is that it kind of gives you something to sort of keep your hands occupied while you just chat about random stuff, and occasionally you get a kill, and that feels good as well. And I think um, it, it got me thinking about like. Why did why did that session with 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 the the lads on the PS4? Why did that feel so much better than if we'd had like a group video call or something? And I think I think here's what it comes down to. I think when we are hanging out with people, when we're trying to connect with our fellow man, what we want is to experience the essence of another person, is to experience the essence of the other person and certain things are more you know certain things kind of promote uh experiencing the essence of the other person more than more than others and so for example you know sahib's a friend a very old friend of ours from school you know we you know we don't hang out in real life that often uh a few times a year or something uh we have this group chat and stuff but like you know we're old friends or whatever and our relationship is not it's it's not really focused around like uh sort of life update stuff like you know mostly when you catch up with sort of university friends for example or whatever uh someone who you don't see that often it'll be kind of focused around like life updates oh cool how's work you know how's how's the girlfriend oh still 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 single oh, that's a shame um th- this kind of stuff and if i had if sahib and i went for dinner or something yeah i'm sure it'd be fun or whatever but i don't think sahib and i going for dinner would really let us experience each other's essence in the way that we'd want the experiencing each other's essence in the context of me and a, a friend like sahib is just sitting around 
doing some random thing and then just like, you know, chatting about random stuff that comes up, you know? And, and yeah, some kinds of uh, social sessions are kind of detrimental to experiencing the, the essence of, uh, of another person. And I think I have, I have certainly found that having a Zoom video call with a friend or a group Zoom video call uh, is almost always detrimental to experiencing the other person's essence because there are very few people, very few like friends in my life with whom I don't know that like that would bring out the essence of, of both of us if we have like a Zoom video call or something. I think this pod, this I think this podcast is cool because uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, you and I sort of experience each other's essence when we talk about random things like this, like overthinking kind of stuff. It's it's the conversation we have in the car and, and things like that. So like, I think the podcast is a good way for us to do that. Um, However, like it's different with different people. And uh, yeah, I found that while we were playing PS4, it, we didn't really do the whole like life update thing of like, oh, you know, are you you know, working from home? Or, you know, all, the, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, at some point, the topic of like w- working from home and doing Zoom happy hours with your colleagues kind of came up, but it came up organically sort of within the frame or within the frame of experiencing each other's essence rather than coming up as a as, as sort of like a, a side thing on its own and so it was like I'll, I'll stop talking there does that make sense yes that makes a lot of sense i think it's uh s- similar to what's his face with uh jimmy carter's no not jimmy carter jimmy thing he's about car jimmy car looking in the happened. same direction yeah looking in the same direction uh and i think kind of when you're playing video games you're very much looking in the same direction although you've now uh convinced me to get a ps4 which one should i get i'm i'm on game i don't know I, right now i just got like the, the cheap one it was like 250 quid from um, amazon or elsewhere yeah amazon prime yeah nice okay and yeah i get it but it's good fun and and what game so i should i should get warzone yeah warzone's free you can just download that once you have it oh it's free yeah how how does that work <laughs> i think you can buy vanity upgrades and things oh wait so have you that's got, the model nowadays there's this one that's free to play that's 250 55 quid ps4 it's the non-pro version have you got the non yeah yeah i think i got the non-pro version no i'm not i'm not a serious gamer i got this to hang out with my friends but i, I think i think you're slightly missing my point which uh, is I, that I, I i understand your point but <laughs> okay but you sold me on buying a playstation i've, I've been kind of toying toying with it okay, for a while yeah. but <laughs> haven't got haven't really got around to it yeah my, my point is that you know with different people you, you experience each other's essence in different ways for someone like you know me and sahib it's it, playing ps4 together is much more conducive to experiencing each other's essence than having a zoom call uh but you know, there are some friends where having a Zoom call and chatting about stuff like this is, is more in line with how we do it. Anyway, that's my insight. Uh, so experiencing the essence of our fellow man. Uh, let's just read a review and call it quits. This has been a long podcast. It's almost two hours at this point. Um, but I think it's, it's been a good discussion. Have you got PlayStation Plus, this 12-month membership? Is, it, is that what you need? Oh, yeah. I think you need to buy a thing to be able to play online. Free delivery by tomorrow. Is that right? Man, if if Zencaster messes up with this recording after this two-hour episode, I'm yeah, going to be seriously okay. pissed. We're, we're using Zencaster to sort of record this remotely in the browser <laughs> on the fly, and I have no idea if it's going to work. Yep. Okay, uh, review for this week. Uh, this comes from uh, someone from Great Britain. Uh, it's entitled Fair Play. They say, thought the two of you were waste men, but when I listened more, and now I find you too interesting. Fair play. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> James Acaster likes to say fair play a lot. Oh, no. He kind of says it in that particular way. Fair play. <laughs> so that's kind of how he talks. Uh, all right. I think we'll we'll call it call it a day. Good stuff. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Right, I'm going to click stop recording now. Let's see what happens.
That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.